one day, Achilles, I will dance to start the show as well. Um, but that day word, is not word. today, unfortunately. Yes, yes. Um, but <laughs> he he is, as always, the left-handed one, the dancing machine, Achilles Nazuri. And I right. am Reggie Bailey, and this is Books of Pop Culture. Achilles, how you feeling? Hey, I feel uh, like I like I had a, a really wolf-esque day. T-Raw, there was really a wolf today. Uh, I was at work, dissertation proposal at one, um, right. and we had this interview this evening. But I am here. I am prepared. Uh, I finished it all. I got full approval on my dissertation, so I'll be moving to the next uh, place. Yes, yes. So, yeah, it's all good over here. How's it going over there? Hey man, you know things. Things are good, man. Things are good. Um, you know, hopefully, I'll be sharing some good news uh, with you. I'll say later. Yeah, awesome. Um, righteous, righteous. Yeah, man. Thank you to the fellowship, first and last time viewers, first and last time listeners, and everyone in between. Because you could be anywhere in the world right now, but you're here with us, and that's something we do not take lightly. So, thank you. We truly appreciate you. Um, there are a lot of places where you can locate books of pop culture, such as YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. You know, if you name the podcast platform and YouTube, um, we're probably there. Right. And on the, at those places, you can do things that we like. You can subscribe to us. You can follow. You can like. You can comment. You can download, leave reviews. And of course, you can share. You may have noticed that I shout out the fellowship first, and that's because the fellowship is Books of Pop Culture's amazing Patreon community. It's one that Achilles and I biasly and objectively believe is the best in bookish communities. By choosing to join the fellowship, you're one, you know, supporting BAPC, right? But you also get access to our Discord, where we discuss a whole lot of books and a little bit of pop culture. And you get access to bonus episodes of Books of Pop Culture, where we discuss a little bit of books and a whole lot of pop culture. And you get us one step closer to doing books of pop culture for a living. You, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash books of pop culture to make all these things happen. Achilles, we're in for a good one tonight, man. I'm excited. Yes. Yeah. This was a roller coaster. <laughs> yes. Yes. Roller coaster, man. And don't, don't, this, this bio is quick, but don't let that fool you. Okay. We have tonight. Mm -hmm a writer, director, and founder of the theater company Nelly Tinder, who has taught at Skidmore College and NYU. That's it. That's all I got, right? But mm -hmm. what I also have is two copies of the book we'll be discussing today, which is Vladimir by Julia May Jonas. And we'll be talking to her after this quick break. Julia, thank you so much for your time. Uh, for for you know saying yes to BAPC, definitely excited to uh to get into this this work. Uh, definitely some work. Yeah. <laughs> work that we read. Um, so there's there's this interesting scene in mm -hmm. the work, right? And I'm using this as a nice break of the day, right? Where there's there's a conversation in Vlad, right? As I'm calling him Vladimir Ladinsky, mm -hmm. you know Vlad. Right. Vlad basically says that he feels musicals compare favorably to novels. Right. And he goes, you know, so on and so forth about, about why that is. So I'm curious with you being a playwright, where do you stand on Vlad's take on mm -hmm. the musical comparing favorably to the novel? And also mm -hmm. what how do you think the play as a format, you know, compares to the novel? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, uh, that, you know, so many things like come out of a writing process and that, that came out of the writing process, but it is, it is something that I, I do think about. Um, I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like a musical can have a lot of, um, similar structural elements to, to a novel. Um, because I think that there are, uh, there are motifs that get introduced, they get brought back, they get repeated, um, that can, that's musically. Um, I think that there are, you know, just in the way that like a novel has layers in terms of imagery or, or certain kinds of uh, uh, formal elements that are there and inside of it. Similarly, I think that happens with the musical. Like you have, you have these notes or these moments or these little melodies that kind of keep uh, continue. And then I think they feel big, you know, a musical always just feels big in the way that I think a novel feels big. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think that actually makes sense because like, like, and it's something like in, in my relationship with my girlfriend, right. She, mm -hmm. she always like kind of makes jokes because I don't really like watch musicals, you know, yeah. and she I mean, loves them. Yeah, many people don't. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's okay to hate musicals. I I happen to love them, but I definitely went. I definitely feel like there's all all sorts of opinions. Some people I think just don't like to hear people singing. Is <laughs> you know? <laughs> is that it? Is that my secret that I don't like to hear people sing? Because I it's a lot of singing. Yeah, that's the thing. And it's conversations. People are singing conversations, you know? And yeah. I think some people are, there's just a threshold. Like, I can't go there. I can't go there in terms of my interest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I totally understand. And, and you know, I mean, I, I, for me, the reason I love them is because as a theater person, you know, I just think they're so... Um, they take advantage of the fact that you're in a live space with other people. You know, they really are the form. It's like you're watching people be virtuosic and, ha you know, with these incredible voices and, and you're seeing the musicians play in live time. It's like this full sensory experience, you know, that, that I think really takes advantage of the fact that, you know, not, that, that you're in a room with performers, um, which yeah. I think is one of the things that like all, keeps me making theater. Um, but I, you know, I teach, I teach playwriting and I tell my students that plays are, are not like novels at all. Uh, plays are like poems. Mm. They're much more like a, they're much more like a poem. Um, they have to be concise. They have to be almost perfectly worded or, or sometimes I'll say they're like a poem where they're like a joke, you know, it yeah. all has to kind of suck together in this yeah. way. Um, that that poems do that, and that, and I think there's a room to be a little bit more rangy in like a, both a novel and and a musical. Um, you can kind yeah. of spread spread out, you know, and you kind of have to, you know, you want those lulls and dips. I think if it feels yeah. too tight in a way, you kind of feel cheated from a book. I mm. I tend to think. <laughs> no, that yeah. is interesting, and you know. Achille, my, my very talented co-host, is, is a poet. And now I'm wondering, like, am I going to get a play out of him now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I am. It, I was just, you know, since I'm doing a thing with Baldwin and Co. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm trying to read, like, the price of the price of a ticket. So, like, all of 
Baldwin's novel. I mean, all of Baldwin's nonfiction before I get into the novel for the book club. And I was like, you know, I hadn't read like into him as a playwright, you know, and I, and I think like that's why I want you to ask this question, because I don't think we talk about plays enough. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, to hear that it's more like a poem. I mean, it makes sense. It's just dope to hear because I'd never heard like th- I've never heard this question in like a, a book podcast or a book right. live, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of why I chose it. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could do a play. I, you know, I, the sky's the limit, though. The sky's the you limit. Know. I mean, Shakespeare <laughs> was a poet, you know. Uh, I think, oh. and I think there's a lot of great playwrights who are also poets. That's where they, that's where they live. Achilles Shakespeare. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm ready for mm. it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing genuinely? And when we say genuinely, we mean like if you got trapped gas, you can let us know that. If you know it was a, if traffic was bad on the way to work, let us know that. So how are you doing genuinely? You know, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. I, um, I have an under two year old son. I have a nine year old daughter, and I have an under two year old son, and mm-hmm. that is, uh, it's, uh, it's really hard. You know, it's, yeah. it's so people ask, say to me, like, you must be exhausted. Your book came out this year. I also did a play this year. Um, and uh, I say, none of that stuff was tiring. Like the real tiring aspect of my life is, is that I have a very, very rambunctious under two year old son who today, as I was coming here, put a clothespin in his mouth and was mm-hmm. thought it was hilarious. You know, <laughs> so I'm wrenching the clothespin out of his mouth, um, you know, and he's 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 doing better. But I never had this with my first one, but he he bites. Yeah, he bites. He scratches. He hits. Um, he doesn't sleep. So it's just, you know, it's just every time I leave to come to these things, it's like <laughs> I like close the door on chaos. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I once closed the door on my son, and we went in there, and he had baby powder the entire room. It's one of his finer moments. It was yeah. really good. It was yeah. everywhere. One. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once yeah, once this story happens for me, I'll make sure to like you know send y'all both a note and say, hey, look, I have my close the door story and it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? that's what yeah. I'm gonna say. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what is one of the most, or what are some of the most important lessons I guess you've learned about the business of writing? And I even add this. I'll add what I think about when I ask this. Right, I think about the fact that you are a playwright. I think about the fact that, you know, you're with us on a paperback release. I mean, you know, I know some authors might say, hey, look, I did press for the hardback. So, you know, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. you know, those are some of the things that come to mind. Like when I ask about, I guess, what are what are possibly some of the most important lessons you've learned about the business of writing? Yeah. Well, in doing in doing the book, um, I mean, and and I guess also in my experience as a playwright, you know, it was a very long time. I was a I have I have been an aspiring, I guess you would say, playwright for a very, very long time. I always say, like, say that every theater in New York was a bookstore. It wouldn't be that many bookstores and they'd all have five books in them a year. Mm. You know, it's like the scale is so much smaller. Um, and and, you know, it's just a it's just a really uh, a tough 
tough uh, industry. And it's also, you know, it's hard with families. It's, it's all of those things. Um, and I was, I feel very grateful that I, I've, I've been able to teach because that's been a way that I can keep doing my art, perpetuate my art. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of self-producing of my art. That's why I have a, a theater company and then also be able to, um, you know, have something that is, is still engaged with what I'm doing uh, and still engaged with that work. Um, and so I would say that, you know, I, I had a really straightforward experience with, with Vladimir, you know, I wrote the book, I emailed it to agents, I got an agent, we sold the book, it came out, it all felt really, really a straight line in a way, but it, it's like all of my artistic work up to that didn't feel like a straight line at all. It just felt like constantly putting in, putting in the work trying to get better, trying to understand more. And I would always say to my students, you know, especially about playwriting, I'd be like, it's not a career, you know, it's a thing you do. And I still think that way about writing. Writing is not, is not, I, I tried to not think about the writing as the career and I, or, or the identity of being a writer as a career, but it's like the thing you do. You're a writer when yeah. you write, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I would say that is what I still try and try and connect with uh, when it comes to thinking, thinking about the business of of writing. And then otherwise, you know, when it comes to comes to promotion and things like that, I mean, I'm so grateful, you know, that people are paying attention to the book that feels so gratifying. And it, I don't think it's the experience that all writers have, you know, people put their book out there and they can kind of just you know, get hidden. It's my friend called it like the calm after the calm. Um, mm. <laughs> when, you, when, yeah. when you publish a book and it gets no attention, you know? So I just yeah. feel, I feel, I feel so, uh, so much gratitude and, and luck, fortune, good fortune for this experience of, of the book. And it would freak me out if I hadn't had such a long haul of, of <laughs> struggling, you know, in, in the, in that other form, um, yeah. you know, it would feel, I think it would, I think I would be unnerved, but I, you know, I just feel like these things have, these things happen and, and you have to be kind of grateful for the wins and, and keep, keep working and keep staying interested in, in the, in the form and in what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. No. And, and you know that, so one thing I thought of just now is like there's there's um there's a scene in the work and, and we'll we'll get into that very soon. But there's a scene also where it, it's it's uh the narrator telling us about a conversation her and Vlad were having, and Vlad and her are talking about uh what is it old classics that are underread and new books that are like what overhyped, overpraised, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. you know. Yeah. And and then um I also was wondering too like you know. Do do you think, you know, your your experience as a playwright made novel writing easier for you in, in any way? Um, I think that in this particular book it did because I was telling this the form of this particular book was scenes. I knew I was going to tell scenes, sell it, tell it through scenes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I was, I thought about the scenes, it's like these accordion folders, like you're moving through the scene and it's kind of, you open it up and then there's these accordion folders of memory and her insights and her thoughts and her self-doubt and her, you know, wrongheaded thinking and all of those things. Um, 
but we're always moving forward towards a scene. And I always wanted to feel like when we started the next scene, something had shifted. And that's something I talk a lot with my playwriting students about and think is important in a play is like, it doesn't have to be plot, but you always have to start the next scene different from where you ended. You know, you have to change the earth, you know, of your play by the end of the scene so that you're starting in a new, in a new place. And so I did, I did think that that thought about what doing that helped, but not all books are like that. You know, there are obviously there are books, novels are, are kind of much more of an open form, I think in a way than a play because they're not durational because you can read a chapter, have it really move you, put it down, think about it then come back to it. Whereas with the play, you're asking an audience to sit there for a super long time um, and you have to move them. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you have, they have to feel movement with you. Um, yeah. Which again, it's not necessarily about plot. It's, it's about like just feeling like you're changing the space, you know, yeah. as, as they're moving through. So, so and, and this is, forgive me if this is like a dumb question, but I'm just kind of putting two and two together based off what you said. So are plays meant to be read in one sitting? You know, I have friends who do that. I find that I find, okay. I, I, even as a playwriting professor, I find reading plays very difficult. So I yeah. just, I, try, it, I think they're really hard to read. And I, I try to be slow with it. I have a friend who will read it. He'll take an intermission after act one, sit back down and then read the next act. But I, I, I can try to do that, but sometimes my attention just can't, can't exist with it so I think yeah. you have to you have to read I will say you I think you should read plays several times you know it's usually mm -hmm. it's not a lot of it's not a lot of words but I think you do need to kind of go back and spend time with them if you want to learn what they're actually doing yeah. got it yeah Right. Yeah. yeah, I was I was definitely thinking the same thing. Like it's something to more so be like experienced uh, when you were talking about like moving um, the, the the people that are there. And I was thinking about and I keep bringing this up, Reggie. I think I need to reread whatever book this is that we read when they were talking about like how a theater works differently than a book in terms of like you're in this hypnotic space. It's, it's dark and and there's like all these other movements that are happening inside of there. And so that like when you're talking about it's not just plot, it's like this movement. I'm thinking about like how you feel when you're in there. And like, it, it does feel like you're being like ushered along, right? Mm -hmm. um, when folks are still in the same space, you know? And so it's an interesting mm -hmm. thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So can you provide your synopsis or elevator pitch of what Vladimir is about and let us know the inspiration behind it? Sure. Um, so Vladimir is about a woman who, uh, when the novel opens, her husband is facing these Me Too-esque allegations. He had affairs with students um, when they were of age and when it was not explicitly against the rules, um, but still uh, uh, did them. And now these students are, are coming back and, and basically suing the college about it. Mm -hmm. He's having to undergo an investigation. Uh, and the narrator, you know, they'd always had an open marriage. She kind of knew about these affairs. She didn't necessarily know the details. They had a kind of a don't ask, don't tell relationship. And then um, uh, she's, she finds that she's implicated in the college professionally and, and personally, uh, she, there are repercussions for her. And into all of that walks in Vladimir, who is this 40 year old experimental novelist who's very celebrated and he's, um, 
very handsome and she develops this obsession with him and this this pushes her to some extreme actions with disastrous results <laughs> yeah <laughs> Good. I think that, that covers it. Sounds, yeah. sounds like what I read. <laughs> hey, yep, yep. Hey, if you if you want to know what a book is about, ask the author what the mm -hmm, book is about. Mm -hmm. yeah, let's, <laughs> let's learn. Um, so, uh, and and leaning into that a little bit more, mm -hmm. I ask one thing. Let me go mad in my own way. As you know, prior to the air, I thought mm -hmm. this was Sophocles. <laughs> from young but Sophocles actually, but it's actually Sophocles right mm -hmm. Sophocles uh, Sophocles is I guess Electra is where this epigraph comes from choosing to to kind of see things in a certain way as as a, a kind of act of and again potentially wrong-headed uh, rebellion against her circumstances or resistance or or fight um, unskillful I would say maybe is a is a good word to use a for that. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I read that was a Ann Carson translation of Electra. And I just remember being really struck by that line in particular. Um, and, and also Electra's story is about, um, uh, she's about like, she's kind of, she's like the perpetual adolescent. I, I think about, I think about Electra as the perpetual adolescent. She's like, she's stuck. She can't move forward. She, the play, I, I, I mentioned this in the book, but the play literally takes place inside of a doorway. Um, and, you know, inside of the doorway between the castle and the outside world, and she's stuck. Um, and so what she chooses to fixate on is this idea of um, getting back at her mother. Uh, uh, and, and I think the narrator is choosing to fixate um, in this way, uh, probably to... Well, I, I mean, I think very much so to uh, find a way to not experience pain, to find a way to find power. When I was a child, I loved old men and I could tell that they also loved me. They loved how eager I was to please them, how much I wanted them to think well of me. They would wink at me and find me precocious. I would encounter them at church and at family gatherings and as friends of my friend's parents. They were the husbands of my dance instructors or my science or my science or history teachers. And I'm gonna skip a little bit, right? What I like most about old men now, however, and the reason I often feel that I am perhaps an old man more than I am an oldish white woman in her late fifties, that identity I am burdened with publicly uh, presenting to my general embarrassment <laughs> is that old men are composed of desire. Everything about them is wanting. They have appetites for food, boats, vacations, entertainment. They want to be stimulated. They want to sleep. They are guided by desire. I even stopped there, right? But first off, I wonder if I was an old man when I was reading <laughs> that, right? Because, I mean, I'm as of this recording, I'm 33 years old, but I was wondering mm -hmm. if I'm like maybe whatever the old age of like manliness is, right? I wondered mm -hmm. if I was that. And then I also wanted to ask you just about like, doing the work of finding space for this narrator within that world, right? Within that world of desire and just everything that she sees old men to be. Can you talk about finding space for her within that world? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought a lot about her having 
taken on the likes and I think they are real likes. I, I you know, I, I'm not, I'm not making, I'm not joking about those, those likes and loves that she has. Right. Um, but I think, I think engaging with them with a desire to please this certain, this certain kind of man or a desire to be seen, um, seen by this uh, uh, certain kind of man as, as someone who, who can get down you know, someone who can, who, someone who can talk about those same kind of things and, and, and someone who is, who has spent her life um, trying to think about how to cultivate those loves in order to be desired, you know, in order to be desired. And I think that that is the real, um, you know, conundrum of the book that, that she doesn't know how to want because all of her wants have been about being desired and now she no longer feels as though she's desirable. So she, you know, I mean, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's, uh, you know, that's sexually that comes from the love of her students, you know, that, that comes a kind of across the board. She feels like she's no longer valuable. That's how she views herself. She's no longer valuable. Uh, uh, because of her ideas that she has about aging and, and, you know, and so uh, she has no, I, all of her desire has come from being valued, you know, and so, and so she has no direct relationship, I think, to her, to her real wants. And I think, I think, you know, the, the Vlad is like, he's a, he's an opportunity for her to try. <laughs> to try to want something, you know, yeah. um, and, and, you know, again, it's, it doesn't really work out for her. Um, uh, but it is about that idea of like, you know, when all of your, when all of your desire is about being desired, then how do you find what your desire is? You know, the morality of art mm -hmm. uh, was what happened when the church or the state got involved. Uh, that if you insisted on infusing art with morality, you would insist on lies uh, and limits, right? Um, truth could be found only outside of the confines of morality. Art needed to be taken and rejected uh, on its own terms. Art was not the artist. Uh, were these all simply platitudes I had absorbed without question? Mm -hmm. um, what I what I think about when I hear like the, like this this particular portion, I think about like conversations about church and state. Uh, and education. And I think about like book banning and things of that nature. Then I also think about the type of art that people are canceling. I'm doing air quotes for listeners uh, because of the artists, right? Simultaneously. If our narrator had another page of this to critique how we talk about these two things in the real world, what might, what might you think that she might say? If she had another page, it's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that one thing that she might say or one conclusion she might come to is that, you know, the morality is the space between you and the piece of art that that art that art can't in its in its can't actually be moral, that there is no morality inside of a, a piece of art. There's only there's only a presentation. And then where the morality actually exists is is in the space in between between that. It's about one's relationship to to a work. Um, and I think she would also talk about this idea that it's not 
it's not as though she's saying that art can't be uh, offensive or bad. A piece of work does not need, I mean, she does say this, but it does not need to be agreed with. You don't have to agree with, with something in order for it to exist. And that's not really what art's purpose is. It's, it's, it's to stimulate and to be in, in conversation and to make you think about life. Yeah, I, I, I thought about that, you know, for one, because it's like a super just cool meditation, right, in, inside of the uh, book. But then also um, um, Gabriel Krauser, right? Um, we spoke with him about his book and he talked a little bit about the same idea, right? And, you know, I, I'm, I was reading, I didn't finish it, but I was reading Elaine Castillo's, I think is what is it, How to Read Now, Reggie? Yeah, how um, now, yeah, and and so she was talking about like, this gray space in between, like the art for art's sake, folk, uh, right. and and the folk who like say that you can't divorce it, right? Um, yeah. And I don't know, I, you know, I just don't necessarily know where I fall, and I feel like, you know, as as someone uh, like the dear writer, right, someone who's like coming up in academia and and kind of knows of some of these various places where art has been, right, throughout the mm -hmm. millennia. Um, I thought that was just like a, a cool thing to kind of kind of function with or, or, or sit with. One thing I loved about the story is that it is also a story of writers and academics. And so I feel like making the choice to write about these types of people allows an author uh, certain things that they immediately like get access to. If you could rifle off like your favorite three things that writing about people like them gave you access to. Uh, and then also one thing that might make it difficult to write about. Uh, these kind of people. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, so I like the, my favorite thing about it was because she's an English professor, I could just have a, a litany of references and, and the form, you know, and, and uh, you know, the book is called Vladimir and, and there's many nods to Nabokov mm -hmm. uh, throughout yeah. the book, but there's also nods to a, a goth to Gothic novels and the book kind of takes a Gothic novel form at the end. And so I, it just allowed me to play with the book like a puzzle uh, mm -hmm. in a way that I thought was really fun. So that's one thing. Um, I think, you know, I think I was able to talk about writing uh, especially this idea of inspiration and different kinds of relationships to writing and, and inspiration. And that was a, a pleasure um, to be able to talk about. And um, I think it also gave me, uh, you know, especially when you're writing about a, a college, it allows, and, and my narrator is 58, it allows for intergenerational discussion you know it allows for a very intergenerational world to yeah. exist that she's actively engaging with and that especially when you're approaching something if it was just her and she never met anyone who was a student who who called her out on these things in the book then we would kind of be left with a bit of a one-sided argument you know mm -hmm. but I, I I think she does have moments when students pull the rug out from underneath her and we were allowed to experience that as a as a um uh, a reader and and see that side have that open have that door open up you know and it's very much about the limits of her perception so it's not necessarily that she can see it, but we can see it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah. so I, that was, that was really fun. And then, you know, I think that the biggest, 
danger is that you just don't want to get solipsistic or too in the weeds about things and, and become too um, entranced with your own yeah. <laughs> stories of academia and, and, and those things. You want to make sure that, that the world is still, still vibrant for people who aren't inside of that. And also, you know, it's a form that a lot of, it's a place there's a, you know, people said to me, Oh, you write, you're writing a can you wrote a campus novel. And I had House. never, yeah, <laughs> I had never intended that, but it is, it's a, it's a genre. So you have to, you know, you have to work with the fact that there's a real, very long history, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I never heard of like campus novels until I like Kiesat was doing like a reading somewhere and he's supposedly like working on a campus novel that's partially like a horror story type thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then recently I saw someone talking about they had written the campus novel, but like just to, I mean, I don't, I, that's an interesting genre, right? Like, because I don't think generally, right, the ones that I have read that might be uh, called a campus novel, I don't know if that's what the authors kind of set out, like, yo, I'm going to write a campus novel and <laughs> this is what's going to happen here. Um, and then, you know, genre, genre just gets a little bendy and tricky anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's just me nerding out about this idea of campus novels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really didn't intend it. And, you know, I mean, and, and my husband is, whenever I kind of say something, he's like, it's not a campus novel. It happens to be her job, you know, but I, 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 <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's uh, entirely true because it definitely is about some dynamics that are happening on, on a campus and, and it's about ways that different people see things. So, yeah. so I can't really get fully away with saying it's not, but it wasn't something it wasn't in my mind as a thing mm -hmm. I was going to do. And I also have read lots of books that have taken place in colleges, but I've never filed them away mentally as like a campus novel. Yeah. 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 No. And it, um, we, we had Elaine Shea Chow uh, uh, join oh, yeah. us for an episode too. And, and it's just interesting, like seeing the, the, the campus and just how it works, not only um, in, in Vladimir, but also in, you know, disorientation. Now there's even like a, there's like something to even like compare it to like, oh, we have two sources of campus novels now, yeah. um, even even on this show. And, you know, I wanted to, I guess, dive just a little little further into just like Ach Achilles question. Right. Because there's a lot of like specific references in, in the work. Right. Like the National Book Award. You know, you, you, you get to talk about like pre-publication star reviews. I believe it was Publishers Weekly. I think that's mentioned. You know, there's The New Yorker. There's a uh, Paris Review. There's yeah. uh what Prairie Schooner, you yeah. know, there's this like like this is even even more than a campus novel, this is like a like literary cultural novel, right? Yeah. Like like it is swarm like just literary references are abound. And and for me, who was like into all of that, right? I was just in heaven, like just reading yeah. all the references, like within a yeah. novel. Um, can you just talk about like I guess the, you know, no pun intended, the desire to place all those very specific literary references um, throughout the work when talking about novelists. And, and last thing, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I, I, the reason why I even asked that is because we've read books about novelists and books about writers and, it, and it's they don't really get into those weeds. Right. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm really curious about why you want to include all that in, in real life places, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, uh, I think some of it just had to do with like wanting to be frank and truthful about what a writer was going to talk about, you know, what what they were going to find 
what what the conversations were going to be um, and, and where they might be making their way. So I think that was part of it, you know, that they would talk about the National Book, you know, that they would kind of nerd out and talk about the National Book Awards um, and and that that would be a way for them to connect, um, you know. And then I also think that I think I, I think I wanted to think about her her being, uh, again, you know, jealousy. I mean, she has a lot of envy. You know, she both wants to be with Vladimir, but she wants to be him. Um, and these kind of markers are, are these these markers for all these the this status that uh and this world that she wants to be a part of and and she's she's kind of not or she's hoping to be a part of she's hoping yes maybe if i if i finish this book that i'm working on maybe i could you know join that join that community be that be that person um that i didn't really get a chance to be uh fully so i i felt like you know there are all these kind of you know, yeah, they're like the designer labels of, of the literary world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are all these like status symbols. Um, I think that she, that that's um, very, that feel very exciting for her to talk about, um, especially if she feels like she's, she's on the outside of that. Um, and, you know, and, you know, I kind of, it kind of was also just tickled me. I was like, this is, this is funny that I'm talking about the National Books Critics Circle Award, you know, uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. uh, I'll just do it. Okay. You know, it's, <laughs> and, and as of this recording, like they, the, the real National Books Critics Circle Awards were just like the yes. were just announced yesterday, right? Yes. Which yes. Is really, exactly. Which is really funny as well. It, yeah. It yeah. was just. Like I was just kind of excited that you actually like name dropped the places. Like I mm -hmm. talk, you know, Achille was nerding out, and I I literally was for that. Like I yeah. couldn't get enough of it. And even yeah. especially, and I know you probably heard this a million times because I remember reading this initially in the Kirkus review of Vladimir, the scene, the auto fiction scene. That was so much oh, fun yeah. to even read too. I know yeah. a lot of people have probably spoken about that because it's such a thing now. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I, I love that scene, and uh, I haven't talked about it a lot. But yeah, I thought it was. I mean, if, I feel like you, you get a couple writers together, and then eventually you're going to turn to talking about autofiction in one way or another, and someone's going to hate it, and someone's going to love it, and you know, yeah. um, and we're all going to have takes. Why is it happening so much now? You know. Uh, autobiographies used to be about astronauts, about people who did things, you know, or, and then, <laughs> and then, yeah. and then now it's also like, right. But if we look back and look at people's first novels, usually they were just, they were autofiction, but they didn't say that they were because that was not, um, that was not a, an okay thing to say. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I just feel like, uh, uh, I was like, they, they will, they will absolutely get together and talk about it. And I do think it's interesting with students that want to do, I do feel like there's such a, a greater desire for them to write creative nonfiction than it is for them to write fiction. That's something that I've observed or just there's a huge, a much, a much bigger interest in that. So as professors, I thought they would be talking about that too. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it was John that had probably my favorite take where he was like saying they don't, I guess basically they don't know how to write about anything other than themselves or something yeah. like that. <laughs> so I thought I was laughing. I'm not gonna lie. I was laughing when I read that. Like, like he might be on to something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he is the tough love, the tough love <laughs> take in that in that moment. <laughs> yeah.
the initial interactions with uh, Vladimir create a spark for our narrator. Um, I feel like uh, also initially she's unsure of whether or not her attraction to him is is pure is pure because she actually like wants him or if it's more about her enjoying the spark of writing, like the, the muse kind of showing up. And I'm interested in which of the two is actually true, but I'm also interested in this particular part where uh, she says, it was like that now whenever I sat down to write. The writing felt like what I imagined skiing the slalom felt like to an accomplished skier, just the right amount of exertion and planning and foresight, the rest of it, easy grace. I instinctively knew to never speak of it or even think on it too much when I was away from the desk, except um, except for the walk here or there when I allowed my mind to, re to rest on it. The act in front of my computer was an act of evocation of conjuring. It gave me shivers of pleasure like the vibrations I used to feel the third or fourth time a new infectious pop song played on the radio. The familiar and the new. The cessation would surge as long as my fingers move over the keys. So I want to know, is it is it purely lust or is it this love for this muse-like uh, feeling? And then also, is this reading how writing works for you? Yeah, I can't. Um, yeah, I think you can't separate the two things. I think I think it's both. You know, I think mm -hmm. the fact that he allows her to he he opens up something within her, and she's she's becomes um, she becomes unstuck in her writing process, and is having this kind of like libidinous experience writing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that is is so much of why she can't give it up as a crush. You know, mm -hmm. if it if it wasn't about her and her her work and feeling like and feeling like whatever this attraction was, it was it was offering her this ability to write to write again and to feel this this feeling as she wrote. Um, you know, I think she would I think she would dismiss him. I think it would or I think it would be easy to deal with. I don't yeah, think she would go no. to where she went, you know, certain certainly if it mm -hmm. wasn't about if it wasn't about that. So, yeah. And then, no, I don't, not usually. I mean, of course you have some great moments when you're writing, when it feels really good. For me, you know, like there are some people, you get lost on that whole, like, you know, you show up at the same place and hope that the muse will find you available and ready. Like those, those adages about like how it works. And then this idea of like, uh, I think it's Hemingway that says like you stop in the middle of a sentence and you come back. Like this yeah. idea of not thinking about it in between. I always think about what I'm writing about like all the time. <laughs> and yeah. so, uh, you know, I was just wondering, you know, because it's, it's, you know, when we talk about like autofiction, but also just how this book is, is allowing you like this insight to like a writer's mind. Yeah. Um, you know, what Julia might, you know, feel like when you have those good moments. So, I mean, I think that that idea of stopping in the middle of the sentence, I did, I did kind of do that a little bit with this book, not, not in terms of, I think the way Hemingway meant it, but I would kind of start the next scene. I would like write to the next scene, write the first sentence of the next scene and then leave. Mm. Um, so that I, I had somewhere to kind of push through. It's like not really useful to finish, I think, when you're writing. It's like you, got, yeah. you have to leave something open or else it feels too hard to start to start the next the next yeah. thing. Yeah. But I mean, no, I, I you know, I, I think that the parts so I remember like one session where I was writing and I it felt really so good. And I, I ended up cutting that session. That was like the memorable session of when it felt so good. And then I, and then it, it, it wasn't good. 
then and then I remember certain other sessions where I was like, I don't feel connected. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm just trying to like put the machinery together right now. And then I looked back at them and I was like, oh no, those are those are those work. You know, the, the, those are those are helping. So it's like I I, I tell my students all the time, like, don't believe what you're feeling. You know, you're going to have a lot of feelings about what you're writing and, and, you know, you should, you should trust your instincts, but you're good. You know, don't trust your feelings when it comes to writing. Yeah. Because, you know, you'll always get a lot of lawyers in your head who are going to talk to you about why what you're doing is, is, you know, dumb or (laughs) scary or, or, or something like that. And, and you kind of just have to push through. Yeah. Uh, and um, I'll, I'll shift a little here, right? Because I'm curious about this. So whether it's, you know, John and, and his students, right? Or or her, as I, as I call the narrator who's unnamed in, in Vlad, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, John and her or her and David, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of the old adage of crapping where you eat, right? <laughs> it's something that people say, you know, you, you shouldn't do. Um, you know, for those who are initiated, basically having workplace romances. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I am curious, um, you know, if you could talk to us about just the work you feel that's being done around workplace romances within Vladimir. I would even add to that. Uh, also within like Title Nine, how um, how those how those you know, I think of them like inquisitions, right? Like when I had to study Title IX for the dis- for my dissertation or well, for my PhD, yeah. like how that plays out too on a college campus. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, there's a couple different ways it kind of works in the book. I think, you know, first of all, they're a married couple and that is a very interesting thing that happens in all universities all the time where you have mm-hmm. married couples working no other can you imagine any other job like at a marketing firm and you have a married couple you know and sitting in a sitting in a faculty meeting with a married couple it's a very but because you know the nature of the asks that colleges are 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 doing in terms of i mean kelly i'm sure you're you're familiar with this but you know if you're if you're going to move to a, a place because there's this opportunity for a job and then your your partner works in the same field, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes that's that's the move. You know, there's yeah. no other place for them to work. So they have to work there. And then getting tenure is so great. Nobody wants to leave. Like you can mm-hmm. sit around a faculty table with a couple and then find out, you know, actually they used to be married. They had a kid together. Then he had an affair with her. And now they're mm-hmm. divorced. And you know, and, and they're all still working together because they can't leave. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to leave. So mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like these kind of golden handcuffs. Um, so I think that's like one element. I mean, and I think when it comes to Title IX, you know, I I think in in general it's been it's so interesting. You know, when I went to school, teachers dated students. It was. Mm-hmm. It was, um, you know, they didn't they didn't harass students. I mean, harassing students would have been completely not okay, but Mm -hmm. they did date them. Um, And it was, you know, I it was it was even it was deemed cool. Uh, You know, I I just when I went to school, I mean, I was at 
I was at theater school. There were some very, you know, charismatic, intelligent people. I didn't, I didn't personally date any of my professors, but I definitely had friends, friends who did and probably would have, you know, Um, and that was the water I swam in. You know, I think that's the thing that's like really hard when we're talking about this generational stuff is you're like that, that was my experience. Um, and then there's the even bigger experience, uh, you know, or, or the generation back, which is more my narrators, which is really this idea of like, you know, the female students were like there to be preyed on, you know, by by these male professors. Um, and and and, you know, it was kind of that was that was that went went along with it. You know, your your uh, you know, your dissertation advisor very much might put his hand on your knee and you just had to kind of sit through it or worse, you know? Um, and, and so I think that's where, that's where she's coming from. And I think in general, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I think boundaries are just really, really helpful, um, inside of these institutions. Um, because I think you, uh, you know, it, 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 I think it just creates a, an atmosphere of safety, you know, and I, I think, I think someone like the narrator kind of pushes, pushes back with this idea that like, why, you know, why should things be safe? Things, things don't need to be safe. Um, yeah. You know, and, yeah. uh, uh, but I, I, I think especially, especially with undergrads, you know, you have to, you have to create that safety. These are, it's like for better and for worse, these are 18 year olds who have never left their homes living yeah. alone with a, a mini fridge and a microwave trying to pretend they're adults. You know, it's a confusing time, I think, mm-hmm. for, yeah. for a lot of these people. Um, so I, I, you know, I mean, in general, I, 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 I think, uh, I think the boundaries there are, are pretty, pretty useful um you know i i think it's like i think it's an interesting thing to think about like post hoc kind of title nine things mm-hmm. um about coming back and 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 looking at relationships in the past that have taken place but the other thing is like everything is specific right i mean that was what i was hoping to talk about inside of this book is like there's we can lump everything together we can make generalizations but it's just so unuseful to do that because you have to take every single situation on a case-by-case basis and if you start making like blanket statements one way or another it's like that's where we all get into trouble yeah 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 go ahead go ahead yeah, I was well, going to say, like, I, I felt I, like the generalization statement that you just made resonated with me, not only just with these like relationships and the, the, you know, the the climate around the scandal, but even just the climate around like how the students engage with literature. Right. Yeah, Where, yeah. Whether, when they're talking about like, oh, why do we have to read about whiny white women? And then, you know, the narrator challenges like, OK, uh, you know, not. No, no, I'm, I'm mixing it up. I'm mixing it up. But basically, right. Just about whiny white women or or no, the narrator says. Uh, what what is a book that doesn't complain, right? Yeah. And then like the student, <laughs> the student doesn't really know what to say after that, right? Because it's like, you know, you're you're complaining about something when it's when it's everywhere. Like no book, no book is not doing the thing that you are saying that it does, right? So there's there are these like uh, 
just generalizations that the younger people often present in the work that the older people are saying, look, like that's too, you're putting a blanket over this and this, it ain't big enough. Right, right, right. You know, basically. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, I do, I, and I think it's just also like, I'm always, when I get any pushback about, about plays that I'm teaching, um, you know, I'm always like, one, how interesting is this blanket, like as you say, that you're putting over it? Is that interesting? Like, is that something that you're, because this is about you learning, you know? And so is that, is that, is that the most interesting take we can, we can take from this? And then the other thing is like, you know, it, steal, steal from it, you know? Yeah. It, it's like, you know, these writers were stealing from other people all the time. These artists were stealing from other people all the time. So if you, you know, you don't have to agree with it. Again, it's like, it's not asking you to agree with it. But you can, but if, if they do something that you're like, oh, well, that's actually kind of good or kind of interesting, then take it, take yeah. steal, 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 use it um, yeah. instead of, and, and that's how you can, that's how you can, uh, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to turn away from something because you don't agree with it or it, it rubs you in the wrong way. You need to, then you, it's almost like, you know, what, what can you, what can you take? That's like, yeah. you, you know, what can you take from it? Yeah. And, yeah. and that that that's what I like about, quote unquote, disagreeable literature is, you know, the fact, especially when I go in, like now I make sure to even do like the shadow worker saying, you know what, I'm going into this a little pessimistic. I'm going in this expecting to disagree. So I need to make because I know that I need to go in and give this an even fairer shake than what I would give something I'm expecting to love, you know. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, this this is dope conversation right there sort yeah. of a, like a, a reader's positionality statement, you know, like <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think about, uh, you know, like, so I, I was, I was really taken by, like, like you said, these inter intergenerational takes on these relationships that have been occurring. Hell, since Sophocles time, right. Mm -hmm. Between the instructor and the student, right. In terms of these older folks, right. When, when you think about like what is happening with title nine too, as time progresses and you add like cell phones in, et cetera, et cetera. One thing that you said that I think is very important is that everything is very like every situation has its own lens that needs to be applied. And so when I, when I was talking about like the, the, what is it called? But basically like him having to go before the board and them having to make a decision on whether he come back or not. Like there's all, and, on the collegiate level, um, there's like these two layers, right, of that. So you might have this conversation that's literally the law going on, right? But at the same time, simultaneously, you're having like this interpretation of of something that still isn't completely clear. Even now, when I'm, I'm for readers who might not know, I'm, I'm finishing up a PhD in higher education administration with mm -hmm. an emphasis in student affairs. And even now, it's really blurred on the on the idea of professors student relationships like mm -hmm. when i first started here they just said it was frowned upon yeah. you know it's not it's not that it's not yeah. you can't do it but we would, we would prefer that you not right and so mm -hmm. but people don't really talk about that and like you said it's been going on and i think now we're moving to a space where folks have this idea of if we don't talk about things then we don't have to deal with things um and so like it's still going on. I mean, it's the same thing whether you're looking at fraternities, right? People are still pledging, right? Even though it's like something that we're supposed to be done with, right? And I, and I just think 
you know, maybe more open conversations like with the conversation that this character is having internally about something that people just kind of like are shoving it under the rug is important. Um, and then I love the struggle that she's having with whether or not these young women actually wanted him or not. Right. right. There's like a, an internal struggle of whether or not they really did go after him or if something um, or if he you know, was initiating this because of the power dynamic. Uh, but yeah, I really appreciated that because I, you know, I have to think about that all the time in school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize you were doing your, uh, you were doing it in higher education administration. So this is, this is, you know, all about this. <laughs> my thing, you know, this is my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's also, I, I mean, it's, it's, a lot of the book is also about just, you know, perception and, and about like how you're, you, you can get caught in your own perception of something and it can really make reality into a different thing. And I think that's also uh, just the, the really big question about John and, and the students, like what, what, you know, what, what, what viewpoint are we looking at and how has that perception changed? And, and, yeah. um, you know, it's kind of, kind of, especially because his, his cases are old, it's kind of impossible, you know, really to know, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, know what it was and, and, and what really happened. I was just going to say, I feel like Edwina and, um, and Sid like occupy like this new guard of, right. of like further blurring that line, the lines of what used to be acceptable. Right. And what we are now coming face to face with, whether it's like Sid's uh, assertion that, you know, the mother was an enabler Right. And or right. Simultaneously, like when she's drunk, she shows him. She's like to his house. Where his <laughs> wife lives, you know, that was a funny yeah, thing. yeah, 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 you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Edwina kind of saying like, you know, I don't get to participate in this type of lifestyle. Yeah. Um, you know, whether I was kind of chosen or not. This is this are things that, you know, cer a certain ilk or a certain kind of folks get to yeah. participate in. And so yeah. those two characters do a really good job of blurring, like you said, this ongoing conversation where this this dialogue is changing over time. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that. Yeah, that was important to me. Both of those perspectives to come in and 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 this idea of like, you know, of of I, I think you know, with Abuina being like, uh, this is not a world I'm led into, and this wasn't a world that I I I would have been led into, and also that like I don't get second chances. You know, it's that that's that's not available for me. I don't get to be forgiven. I don't get to make mistakes in this, this kind of way. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was, that was important for me to have in the book. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I, I think of too is, you know, um, there, there's a, there's a quote um, like kind of towards the end, right. Where you, you hear the narrator say ease is a form of freedom. Right. Mm. And that that resonated with me a lot because I thought about in the beginning, once again, going to this generational divide, you have mm -hmm. a lot of these young people saying, you know, hey, you're you're hot. You know, you 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 don't look a day over, you know, right. 45, 45 or whatever yep. it was right? Shout <laughs> to Sydney for the for the compliment. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she has all of this feedback from the younger generation, but then she also comes from a generation that perhaps believes in, you know, till death, right? Like, Hey, right. I chose to be with him till death. I'm not going anywhere. Right. And I yeah. like that, that, that tug of war that you did um, through, through the work. And I, I wanted you to maybe talk about that tug of war a little more. Like how, how was it going into that gray area between, Hey, should I stay or should I go? 
I wasn't sure when I started the book about whether she was, gonna, you know, whether she was going to stay or what, whether she was going to go. And, and I didn't kind of knew I was writing toward the scene that I say in the beginning of the, the novel. Um, so I can say it, which is like her tying Vladimir up. Like I knew I was going to write to that. Um, but I, I wasn't really quite sure what was going to happen after, you know, and I, I did, I did feel like there was this kind of side of her that came out after um, a lot of things went down at the cabin uh, where I, I, I was like, Oh, she's, she's, um, man, she's, she took us us on an adventure. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, where, where I was like, she's, she's, I don't know if it's, if it's, Carol, if it's careless is the word that I'm looking for. I, I think she is a little bit careless, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a lot careless, you know, and the, uh, um, but I, I think it's, I think it's also that she's, she's, she's going back to, to kind of being like, all right, well, I'm just gonna, I don't know what to, I don't know who to be outside of this relationship. You know, yeah. I don't know, how to, yeah. I don't know how to, who to be. And I tried and I really mess things up. Um, and, uh, and so, and so I'm going back to what feels the most easy, which is being inside of, inside of this space. Yeah. And, and, and one thing I even think about with the ease, right. Is the open exploration that was allowed within, you know, uh, their relationship. Right. And I, and I wonder, like, I wonder if you feel like the fact that they had an arrangement, Right. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe everyone didn't know about it, but they did. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like how how much easier do you think it made the marriage for the, the narrator like overall? I mean, I think <laughs> I think not at all. You know, I you know what I mean? I mean, certainly like everyone, everyone. I be- I'm, I'm a firm believer that everyone should do exactly what they want. I could mm-hmm. never have an open marriage because I don't have enough time. And it seems like a lot of work. John's the only one that kind of won out there, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Ahead, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it'd be just be so much managing and stress, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't show up for that. She kind of says at the beginning of the novel that she gave up after she had this really tough experience with her colleague, uh, yeah. and and that she actually said like, "All right, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Um, I'm going to just, in, I'm just going to retreat and and you know get my." get my daughter through school and uh, off to college and, and kind of focus on um, myself, focus on not get, get away from this, this other energy that's pulling her away. Cause that energy is, it's like so exciting. It's so enlivening. You feel so good. And it's also just so draining. I mean, it feels like you're living a double life when you're in that kind of intense, uh, even yeah. if it's, even if it's all copacetic, even if it's only one person, you know, if you're falling in love and, you're going to a job. It's like you're two things are happening at once. I wanted to ask you about, you know, what I what I want to call and I'm gonna be a little little vague here, right? But just like residue and aftershocks, right? Because mm-hmm. what, what happens a lot of times when these like scandals happen and out so I can so I can avoid like potential spoilers or anything, I'll mm-hmm. I'll talk about like, for example, Harvey Weinstein, right? Or something yeah. like that, right? So now people will look at a film. And they'll say, oh, Harvey Weinstein produced it. You know, I, I can't watch it. Right. 
But the thing is, there are other actors, other producers. There's so many people that play a part in the development of the mm-hmm. film, or even someone like Cosby, right? So many people played a part in, yeah. you know, there are other actors in the Cosby show. There are other actors and actresses on a different world and all this other stuff, right? Yeah. And um, you just you just never know like how it's going to the actions of one is going to, I guess, have bad effects on you know the other people whom they worked with you know for better or worse right um and i feel like you wrote into that space in just a very interesting way and um i guess i just wanted you to talk to us about that like uh just this idea of aftershocks and residue you know from left after something unfortunate and eventful happens yeah yeah there are some stories about wives who've been involved with people that are inside the scandal, but I, I really wanted to think about like, okay, what if there's a, a real person and she's not perfect and, you know, has kind of allowed this stuff to happen, but then, but then, um, yeah, she's caught, she's caught up in all of it. You know, and I think the same thing happens with her daughter. Her daughter has some, you know, has, has some of the behavior of her father, mm-hmm. um, has some of that, that casualness and, and that hurtfulness um, uh, that she, that she inflicts um, and she's stuck in her own kind of addictive pattern as a result of it. So, you know, I think, yeah, relationships, they come with, I, I, I do think a lot about inherited, um, you know, those, those, those inherited patterns that we act out again and again from our, from our family. Um, and yeah. And, 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 and the idea that these things have, have a, have a ripple, have a ripple effect, um, that, that we, we don't entirely, yeah, that we don't entirely know. Yeah. 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 I was thinking about that, uh, time where Sid has that scene where she's remembering um, the mother being in the, in the room with the father and they're you know kind of snuggling I'll say yeah. uh, but she thinks that he was snuggling with someone else and the mom's yeah. like no that was me you know and I told you that you know dad was trying to get something out of my pocket yeah um, yeah. yeah and I was like I'm, I'm gonna use that one but um, I was <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know she would remember it in a different way yeah, um, yeah. Then, then how it actually transpired. So yeah, 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 yeah. I know you start to kind of look. That's the thing. I mean, and that's that's again about like that that idea of like looking back at things. It's like it's like you you start to look back at everything. It can tinge it can tinge all of your memories. And it's not mm-hmm. just about what happened and what what you take in the future. You can really start to see see what see what was going on in a very different way. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, we have made it to the the closing questions. Um, (laughs) This this has been fun. Um, So I have to ask about the dedication. You dedicated the book simply, you know, to Adam. It says for Adam. Uh, Mm -hmm. Could you talk to us about uh, how you decided on, you know, dedicating Vladimir to Adam? Yeah, well, Adam's my husband and uh, he uh, is a, a, a... a journalist and he's also a crime writer um he's mm. he's written uh four novels i think the, this one coming out, yeah this one that's about to come out is his fourth i would dedicate it to him probably if he didn't do anything but i think one thing i really learned when i was with him and he was writing these novels uh was just i, I just watched him watched him put in the time you know every day yeah. in the morning from five to seven a.m because we had a, a, a we 
we had one kid at that time and she would, she was a better sleeper. <laughs> he would, um, he would get up and he would write for those two hours and then he would go off to work and, 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 you know, and I, I got to see how long it took and the, the kind of patience it took. And that, that is, that was a really, really useful lesson because you can write a play in a week. I mean, it won't be good, but you could. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, if I hadn't known about, I, it was just really useful to see the, see the time frame. But he's also my first reader. It's in our vows that he's my first reader. <laughs> uh, it was in our vows when we got married. Um, and I'm, I'm the same for him. Um, so we've always just, that's been part of our, that's a huge part of our, our relationship and, and, uh, you know, big, big connection. You know, there are all sorts of good things that come with being married to another writer and there's also challenges, but, uh, in general, it's been good for us. So, so if you're not the first reader or he's not the first reader, then y'all could say, Hey, look, you're not fulfilling the duty. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Unless he I'm takes too he... long, because sometimes he'll take a long time to read some of my things, and then I'll say, "Okay, never mind. I'm sending it to somebody else." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but with yeah. this, with something big, you know, that's with something small. With with something yeah. big, it's like he's the he has to get to look at it. The book you want Achille and I to read if we haven't already read it. Oh, oh, okay. Um, you know, I I've, I've been talking about Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss. You know that book? Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss. I feel like I've heard of it. Let me uh Sarah me... Moss, you may know she had a kind of a yeah, her 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 this is one of her first, I think this may be her first novel or maybe her second novel. Um it's an early one. Um it is it's really tight and yes, and, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Yes. It's like a beautiful little ed- edition. Um and it's it's really great. It's like a book that kind of changes form on you as as you read it and becomes something entirely different. It's very I found it very scary. Um yeah. in this in a thrilling way, in this very dread inducing. Yeah. This is in, yeah, this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it's about like, you know, men <sighs> obsessed with antiquity and and uh and um, you know, and then this kind of supernatural kind of thing kind of comes in. Yeah, it's, uh, it's walls, great. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's it's on you now. It's my turn now. I was stuck loop reading about creation of these ghost <laughs> walls. Tell us, tell us who you would like to see as a guest on Books of Pop Culture. But if you are connected with this person, then you must disclose your connection so that we can be connected as well. Um, who would I like to see on Books pop culture do you do nonfiction? we do yes yes we do yes <laughs> well i mean the, the, she is my friend but she's a fantastic writer uh uh chloe cooper jones um uh, she wrote this book easy beauty um and she is well she'd just be a delight to because she's a great talker and her she's a great writer and her book is 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 wonderful um so i would i would I would definitely, you would, you would have a lot of fun with her. She's very, very, very funny and also extremely smart. Yeah. No, that is, um, it's interesting because like, I realize I can't remember like every book I see, but all these books you name, like when I look them up, I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen that cover. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I've definitely seen Easy Beauty around as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, the easiest question of them all, you know, uh, what is, what should we looking out? What should we be looking out for next from Julia May Jonas? 
as well as um, you know, how can people follow your journey, whether it's like a website, social media, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, am working on a book, and um, you know, hopefully, I'll finish it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then um, I, I I have a I actually do have a play coming out, but I don't have an exact date for it. So uh, so it'll be sometime in 2024. It's this play called A Woman Among Women. And um, if people are in New York, it's it's at this great theater called the Bushwick Star. Um, nice. So, uh, and then, uh, oh, and getting in touch with me. I mean, I think the best way is for my website. I have a really conflicted relationship to social media. So I'm often deactivating my accounts um, to the to the great chagrin of my publishers. <laughs> but, you know, I have one human soul, you know, I, yeah. I so <laughs> I can't. Um, so I think the best way is just through my website, but you can get in touch with me. There's, there's ways to, there's ways to reach me and, and uh, try and I need to update it, but I'll try and update it. Get your copy of Vladimir, get the paperback that's out. I'm holding the, the hardcover. I'm also mm -hmm. holding the, the paperback now. So get your copy of it, preferably from bookshop.org slash shop slash books of pop culture. Uh, for Julia Mae Jonas in the Killing Missouri, I'm Reggie Bailey. This has been another edition of Books of Pop Culture, and we will see y'all next time. Oh, thanks. Yes.